Hey, turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. We are making our way through this grand and glorious book, which is the book we started Sunday services with, by the way. So we've come full circle here. We've gone all the way through uh, the, the New Testament, although that's not exactly accurate because we have two more chapters in Revelation to go. So keep coming on Wednesday nights. By the way, no Wednesday night study on the 23rd. Tyrell's going to do some caroling then. So if you want to go caroling, listen, caroling's outside, folks. They'll have a mask, uh, the whole shooting match. But anyway, uh, see Tyrell. He's going to lead a group of carolers on the 23rd. But we will have Christmas Eve service, 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock. No child care. Keep him in here. Uh, and, uh, you know, candlelight service. We'll be out by 7. I know. I say that a lot. But we really will be out by 7, okay? We're going to sing hymns. We'll have a short 15-minute message. We'll sing more hymns. We'll candlelight service, and off you go uh, to make merry, okay? All right, Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. This is one of the very few books of the whole Bible that's written by a Gentile. Because the other one was Acts, <laughs> and he wrote it, Luke. Luke's a doctor, a physician, a medical doctor. You can see it in almost every chapter. He uses medical terms in the Greek, like a, a term that nobody but a doctor or a healthcare worker would use. He's a doctor, but he's also the great historian. He researched this thoroughly, and this includes eyewitness accounts. I'm convinced he talked to Jesus' mom. You can see it in here. There's things in this story by the Holy Spirit or this account by the Holy Spirit, only Mary would know. This is thoroughly researched and documented. And what Luke wants to do, it's such a liberating doctrine. Don't miss it here. Hand in glove with the second chapter of the book of Philippians to show us Jesus as a man. He's the man, he's the God-man, he never stopped being God, even when he was here on earth. Never stopped being God, but he laid aside his rights and privileges to his deity, and he lived as a man. Just like you and I and we live as humans, Jesus lived fully dependent upon the Father. And he opens up this book, this universal gospel, to show us that all are welcome. If you're frustrated one way or the other with a person who has this kind of theology, or excuse me, did I say theology? Well, that wasn't a Freudian slip. Because many times in today's world, we can confuse our political ideology with our theology, which, folks, you better watch it if you're doing that. But it doesn't matter. If you're this type of ideology or this type of ideology, Luke says, come. Whether you're poor or rich, whether you live on this side of the tracks or that side of the tracks, whether you look like this or like that, doesn't matter. We're all the same in Christ Jesus. He's telling us just over and over. It's every chapter. It's just pouring out of his pen by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And for the last several weeks, we've been concentrating on what's called the Sermon on the Plain. I want you to wake up here. Not the Sermon on the Mount. So this is called the Sermon on the Plain. And many people believe it's a different sermon, but the same sermon. In other words, it's a different time that Jesus is speaking, and yet he uses the same sermon. You say, well, isn't that 
callous? Isn't that insensitive? Jesus using the same sermon? No, we're fickle. We're thick-headed. We're prone to wander. We need to hear it. I was talking to somebody this morning who learns like me. I, I can't learn like reading it once and it's over. I always have it up here. That's not me. I have to go over it again and again and again, and the Lord knows that. And so here, uh, uh, he, he preaches to us the Sermon on the Mount, which might be different, of different times. Some people don't believe. Some people believe it's the same. Whatever. We need to hear it over and over again, the grand and glorious work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and then his teachings. And we saw as we've been going through uh, these first several weeks, that this has been about Jesus' teaching ministry. He's He's been teaching all throughout those regions. Teaching, teaching. This guy was a teacher. And he did perform miracles and signs and wonders and healings. He did, but he was a little bit reluctant to do it. Do you know why? Because he knows that signs and wonders don't save They confirm who Jesus is. The gospel is what saves. So he did do signs and wonders, but he doesn't want people to get hung up on signs and wonders. Do we love signs and wonders? I get criticized for this, for saying this, by the way. Do we love signs and wonders? Oh, yes. I love signs and wonders. When somebody gets healed or whatever, praise the Lord. But you know what the Lord always has uh, uh, at the top of his list? that men and women, boys and girls, would have their sins forgiven by the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, first and foremost. And then, if miracles come, yay! But he tells us of a place and a time where all miracles will happen, will fully be restored. There'll be no crying, no sadness, no sickness, no death. So we will all be healed. Whether it's here or not, I don't know. Can he heal? Yes. Okay, now, he teaches us these things. And one of the things that I want to read to you before we move on is he teaches us this. Blessed are you who weep now, verse 21 of chapter 6 of the book of Luke. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Or excuse me, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you, right? Blessed are you up above the poor. Uh, Blessed are those in the Sermon on the Mount who mourn. When I was reading the Bible as a kid, no one ever made me. I just read it. I don't know why. Actually, I do know why, but you get my point. No one made me read the Bible. I just read it, and I would read these things and go, what? Blessed are those who mourn? That seems backwards to me. Blessed are the poor? What do you mean? I'm being taught at school to be wealthy and build my kingdom, to pick myself up by my own bootstraps and the whole shooting match. He says, woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep down here in the Sermon on the Plain. So he teaches these things, and he keeps going all through chapter 6. The Sermon on the Plain, the Sermon on the Plain, the Sermon on the Plain. And then in Jesus' amazing fashion, in God's amazing fashion, the Father 
by the person and work of the Holy Spirit through a pen of a doctor, he says, time out. (laughs) If you're just book smart, (laughs) you don't get it. I want to show you, the Holy Spirit says to us through Luke, four pictures of things that show us how the Sermon on the Plain is lived out. And so he does in chapter 7. He gives us a worried centurion. A worried centurion. He gives us that, and he shows us uh, 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 how worry and faith he responds to. He shows us how he responds to worry and faith in this uh, worried centurion. He then responds to despair. So, So think about this. Worry over others. Anybody in here worry about other people? Uh, Then he goes and he meets a person who's in total despair, total bankruptcy spiritually, emotionally, physically. She has lost her only son. And we see how he responds uh, to her. And then how about this one? Friends, even relatives, John the Baptist, who's totally confused about his program, about Jesus's program, He meets head-on confusion of people who are spiritual. Now, wait a minute. Are you catching what I'm trying to say to you in not a very articulate way? He's saying this is all about us today. Finally, final thing he uh, uh, responds to, Jesus does, is this sinful woman who's going to, I think, as we go through it, make you all feel very uncomfortable. Makes me uncomfortable. Because she worships like nobody else. She gets down on her knees as an uninvited guest at a rich party and starts crying on the feet of Jesus. Opens up her perfume and puts it on his feet. Think about it. If she's doing it on his feet, guess where she is? right there down by the feet, and then she wipes her hair to wipe it up. Make you feel uncomfortable? Well, to all these four people, Jesus responds and shows us his compassion. His compassion. Let me read just a little bit from it. I'm not going to read the entire thing because it's very long. I'm going to read a little bit from it, and then we're going to pray. And here's here's what I'm going to read, 1 through 10. We're going to read the first one about the centurion servant. Here's where Jesus says, okay, we've had enough book learning for today. I want you to live, I want you to have life learning. And here it comes. Now, when he had concluded all this sayings in the hearing of the people, catch it, all his teaching concluded for for the time. He enters Capernaum. Capernaum is his home base now. It's on the north uh, tip of the Sea of Galilee. And a certain centurion's servant who uh, was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and to heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. 
Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I didn't even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. Now, this is an important word also. For I also, that's important. I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent, returning to the house, found the servant well. There's the medical term, by the way who had been sick. So pray with me, would you? Lord, thanks uh, for this beautiful chapter of your scriptures that teach us so much, Lord. And Lord, as we move through this, may you do a work in our hearts of compassion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I want you to know this, you probably do. In the almost, or maybe the most famous chapter of Isaiah. It's Isaiah 53. It's the suffering servant chapter. You know it well. In verse 3, it says this, that the Messiah, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus Christ is a man of sorrows, and we see it right here. And yet, listen now, in Hebrews 1.9, and yet in Hebrews 1.9, polling from two places in the book of Isaiah, or at least one place, he's, uh, it's written this about Jesus, the Messiah. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Your God has anointed you, look at, listen to this, with the oil of gladness. He's the man of sorrows who's anointed with the oil of gladness. Okay, so just take a time out for a minute. And go with me now to the New Testament. Hopefully, I'll pull this together for you. In the New Testament, in chapter or two, or excuse me, chapter one of 2 Corinthians 1, it says this: Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Now, I just want to tell you something: comfort right there in the Greek. Hang with me now. Don't tune out. I know, I'm speaking Greek to you. Comfort in that word is periklesis, which means come alongside somebody. The Holy Spirit is often spoken of in the Bible, in the Greek, as a paraclete, a comer alongside of people. Okay? Checking with me? Now let's read it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. He comes alongside people. Who comforts us, God comforts us in all our tribulations. Catch it. That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. Guess what that word for comfort keeps? It's paraclete or paraclesis. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now that's 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. You understand, I know your ministry right now. 
Here, folks, I know our ministry. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says we're to be reconcilers of people. In other words, we point people to Jesus, and he reconciles them to the Father. We have the ministry of reconciliation, which, oh, by the way, is the greatest comfort of all. But also, the Bible calls us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. That's in Romans 12. Sometimes, folks, we don't have to give a five-point outline of what Calvinism is or a, you know, a, a two-point, you know, two-page or 20-page paper on what Arminianism, Arminianism is to people when they're hurting. What we need to do is come alongside them. And with, from the comfort with which God has comforted us, we are to comfort them. Are you, are you tracking with me? Oh, by the way, because you are a new creation in Christ, you are one to be comforted yourself. Did you catch it in the verse I read to you? you you're only comforting out of the resource of God's comfort to you. Are you catching that? You must be comforted. Remember last week we talked about a disciple can only lead people where they've been already. <laughs> Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says about compassion of the Lord as it applies to you. Now listen, this is a little long. I always say this. I am long-winded, I know that. Spurgeon was doubly long-winded. And in public speaking, you're not supposed to read very much to, to the audience. But I don't care right here. You got to hear this. So the first thing we're going to deal with is the comfort with which God deals with you. So that, number two, when we go to the vignettes, you can give out comfort as Jesus gave out comfort. Everybody with me? Okay, listen to this. The compassion of the master making up for all the abuses of his enemies. And believe me, there's nothing sweeter to a, a forlorn and a broken spirit. Anybody in here broken or forlorn, right? Do you know people who are broken and forlorn? Yes. There's nothing sweeter to a forlorn and broken spirit than the fact that Jesus has compassion. Are any of you sad and lonely? Anybody listening now sad and lonely? Folks, I got the news for you. In this month, during this pandemic, suicide goes right through the roof. Alcoholism, through the roof. Drugs and alcohol, through the roof. Because people are sad and lonely, including some of us in here. Are you sad and lonely? Have any of you been wronged in a cruel way? Have you lost the goodwill of someone you loved or esteemed, as Spurgeon says? Do you seem as if you've had the cold shoulder, even from good people? Oh, man, I hear about that all the time, the slights that people feel. Do not say in the anguish of your spirit, I am lost. Don't say I'm lost, and don't give up, Spurgeon says. By the way, Spurgeon had great bouts of depression. He... Jesus has compassion on you. Nay, poor people, seek not the dark river and the cold stream. He has compassion. He who looks down with the bright eyes of yonder stars and watches you is your friend. 
He can help you. Though you have gone so far from the path of virtue, are you catching this? Though you've gone so far from the path of virtue, though throw not yourself away in despair. Don't throw yourself away in despair. Because he has compassion. And you, broken down in health and broken down in fortune, scarcely with a shoe to your feet, you are welcome in the house of God. Welcome as the most honored guest in the assembly of the saints. Let, here it comes. Tune in now. I know I've read a lot already. Tune in right here. Let not the weighty grief that overhangs your soul tempt you to think that hopeless darkness has settled your fate and foreclosed the doom. Though your sins may have beggared thee, bothered you, Christ can enrich you with better riches. He has compassion. Ah, say you. They, they pass me on the stairs. They give me a broad pathway. And if they see me in the street, they don't even speak to me. Even his disciples don't speak to me. Listen, listen to what Spurgeon says right here. Be it so, but better than his disciples, tenderer by far, is Jesus. Is there a man here whom to associate with, mere, or with, with were a scandal from which the pure and pious, pious would shrink? The holy, harmless, undefiled one will not disdain even him or her, for this man receives sinners. He's a friend of publicans and sinners. Where am I getting all this compassion stuff? Well, if you look back in Luke 7, I didn't read all the way. And before we go verse by verse here, I want you to just check down here in chapter 7 in the second story in verse 13. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, don't weep. Now you go, oh, okay, great, great. And the reason you say great and just kind of skip by it is the same reason I do, because I don't know Greek. But if you knew Greek, you'd stop in your tracks right there. And the reason you would is because this is a word never used again in the Bible, only to describe the compassion of Jesus. And it means, listen to this, from somewhere deep within the bowels came compassion. In other words, look at this, look at this. Real compassion takes the pain of others into their hearts. Into their, they feel for people. They, they, they don't just see something on TV and go, oh, I, ah, that's terrible, and then turn it to the Steelers. They're moved to compassion. They feel it. Jesus feels it. Listen, he feels it in himself, and then he does something about it. That's compassion. And this is a particular word that they use here, only used for Jesus. Now go back with me. Four vignettes. The first vignette. When he concluded all his sayings, he goes to a certain centurion servant that was dear to him. Or, and he, a certain centurion servant who was, was dear to him. Now, the first thing that you need to know is the central figure in this first vignette is the centurion, but he's not the one who's healed. You get this? There's a Roman centurion living in Israel in the area of Capernaum, which means he's an, armor, or an officer in the Roman army. He is the oppressor. 
to the Israeli people, you get this, to the Jewish people. He is the oppressor, the enemy, but there's been something happen in this man. He's a religious man. He is a humble man. He's so humble, and he's a loving man. He's so humble and loving, he cares for his servant, which he was not required to do under any law to care for his servant. For Romans, they, could, they, they had a very in, in, um, impersonal way of dealing with the people who served them. If they got sick or couldn't do it, they would cast them out. But here, he's touched by the fact that this one, this servant, was sick and ready to die. And so when he heard about Jesus, how did he hear about Jesus? He didn't hear it from Instagram. He didn't hear it from Facebook Live. He, he, he didn't hear it by the website or the tape CD. You know how he heard it? Because people told him about it. There's a whole sermon right there, folks. Connect with people. Beck's right. Get off your stupid phones and connect with people. And my stupid phone. I have one too, so I'm not pointing the fingers at you. But here... He's sick, and when he heard about Jesus, because Jesus is doing these things, he's teaching and doing miracles all in the region. Listen, see, half of knowing the Bible and being astounded by the Bible is just figuring out who the players are. And in this case, you got Jesus and his followers, who to the Jewish elite and traditionalists are trying to upset their religion. You get that? And then you have the hated Romans and you have all three of them coming to a head in this story. Jesus and his followers are here talking to the representatives who are Jewish, who are from the elite, who are coming to them, or to, to Jesus, because a Roman has made a request. And what has the Roman done? The Roman, for some reason, had a respect for God, don't know exactly why, but he had built a synagogue in the region. Are you catching that? This is weird dynamics, folks. Although, maybe I shouldn't say it's weird because almost every time a Saturian's mentioned in the New Testament, the New Testament speaks well of him because the Lord wants you to know anybody can come. So he's pleading with him to come and to heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, listen, these are people who are normally enemies. Am I making that clear, hopefully? And an, and an, an ambassadorship, a, an envoy has gone out from the Roman centurion, and they happen to be Jewish. And they say, this one, this centurion, he's so deserving. He even made us a synagogue. And then Jesus went with them in verse 6, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, don't even trouble yourself. Can you imagine? Here's a man who rules over a lot of men. He puts them into battle. He tells people where to go, and they go. And if they don't go, somebody's car is going off outside just in case. <laughs> It's like a dog whistle to me. No, I'm kidding. But anyway, so you have that happen. You have that happening. And he says, Lord, don't even trouble yourself, 
for I'm not worthy that you should enter my roof. Now, you know under Jewish tradition, right? You understand this? That rabbis or the Jews weren't allowed to go into a Gentile house. You even see how beautiful this is? This Roman centurion who could do anything he wanted militarily says, I'm so sensitive to the Lord. Lord, I don't even want to embarrass you. You don't have to come into my house. I'm not worthy. Can you imagine a person with all this power and prestige saying, I'm not worthy? It's speaking something to us. See, what it's speaking to you is the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain. It don't matter what you have as long as the stuff that you have doesn't possess you. If you can't give up your stuff, you're in trouble. If you have your stuff and you can use it for the glory of the Lord, praise the Lord. But the most important thing, whether you're rich or poor, is that you understand that you're a sinner who needs the grace of God. You tracking with me? Here he says, I'm not even worthy. What a, what a great perspective to have. God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. I'm not worthy that you should enter. Blessed, here, here, Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching us, blessed are the poor in spirit. You say, man, when I was a kid, poor? Do I have to be poor? That's why I went off and told you that. No, 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 poor, spiritually bankrupt. Are you a person who, listen, are you giving at Christmas to, to charities or whatever and give throughout the year? Wonderful. Praise the Lord. But when you give, there's a subtle difference between being blessed back because, being, because you're giving. Lord said you would be. No doubt about it. Or do you feel good because you feel self-righteous? And you be honest with yourself. I know what I fight. Here, this guy says, I'm not even worthy. I'm not even worthy that you should enter my roof. Therefore, I didn't even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. Listen, this is, I think, the key to this chapter, the word also. Can you believe I'm saying that? For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. See, there was something about Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, the God-man, the who came into this world in a diaper, in a slobbery manger, where he lived his life in such a way that people knew he was under the authority of his father. In fact, in the book of John, we're, and also all throughout the Gospels, when Jesus does miracles and stuff, you know what is hap happens? It says it. God, his Father, is glorified. See, that's the subtleness, subtle, uh, the subtlety of doing good as a person. When you do good, do you want people to think how nice you are? Honestly, think about it. I've I got to tell you, man, I fight that. Or do you want God to be glorified? When you walk away, they want to say, wow, what a nice guy he is. Or do you want God to be glorified? And here I think there's something that is... Uh, uh, a telling. Jesus Christ himself only did the will of the Father. He only did the work that the Lord showed him to do. He listened to his Father. He was in prayer with his Father. In other words, he was under the authority of his Father while he was here. You see this? You know one really telling way 
Oh man, here it comes. Brace yourself. Whether we live under authority, <laughs> just go and look how you act to your boss. Just go do that. You say, well, my boss is a jerk. Well, the scriptures say you're to honor him in the workplace. Uh, just go and see. Okay, here it comes. This is the offensive part. Get ready. Who wants to wear this? Not many people. Some do, some don't. Don't send me emails. I've heard all your emails. I've listened to all your calls. I've heard all your complaints. I'm fine with it. You keep them coming, but here's what I'm saying. I don't even care if you're pro-mask. You cannot tell me you want to continue to wear this thing. You, you will wear it because it's what you think the right things to do, right? You'll do that. But when the leadership of a church asks you to put on a mask and you don't do it, you kidding me? Now, if you're in a different church and the leadership doesn't ask you, okay. Are we some ogres in the sky who are saying, put on a mask and we're going to come around to your house and look and check if you have a mask on? No, we're not that. But there are people who just won't do it. I'm going to get in trouble for this, I know. You, you know what I always say? <laughs> I'd wear a pink money suit up here if I got to keep doing this. I'm not kidding you. I'd wear a Superman outfit. I'd put on a, a fuzzy dog uniform. I, I, and, and we're laughing, but I'd do it. If I got to keep preaching the gospel, loving on people, and sharing his word, I'd dress in anything. I'd even wear a suit, maybe. You say, well, wait a second. I get it. And then you say, well, okay, if you're not going to wear a mask, here's the problem with today's church. I'll just go to another church. You see, that'll never solve your problem. Ever. It'll never solve your problem. I'm not even complaining. For people who have chosen to, to go and do a different thing, I'm not complaining. I'm just telling you, it'll never solve your problem. And here's why. The church you go to is, is going to be imperfect too. You know how I know it? Because people go there. Well, how do you do with authority? How do you do with authority? See, here, the Roman centurion, you say, well, okay, do I have to, you know, masks? I'm just using that because it's germane to the times. We can think about a million things. But how do you do with authority? When somebody asks you to do something, do you just, ooh, you know, the hair on the back, ooh, I can't believe the way they, right? Or are you sub submissive to authority? Here, the Roman centurion knew there was power and grace and power and mercy and power in it. There was love and healing in the, uh, submitting to authority. And now I'm not talking about some weird shepherding thing where we come into your lives and we tell you what to do and who to marry. That's inappropriate and wrong. I'm just saying, what are you like with authority? What am I like with authority? Here that he knew it and uh, Jesus just lived it out. 
say the word and my servant will be healed. I'm a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled. He marveled at him. He marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, because he's now got a crowd. He says, I don't, listen, this is bold. Do you understand how bold it is, what he's about ready to say here? You don't really catch it, because we didn't live in these times. But here it is, a Roman centurion has sent the Jewish leadership to come and plead for a servant's life. And he says, I haven't found such great faith over this centurion's faith, not even in Israel. In Israel. In other words, the gospel's open to everybody. Folks, don't give up on people. Don't give up on people. Whether they're in power or out of power, whether they're now in power or out of power, if you catch my drift. Don't wipe your hands. Don't, don't, if any, don't do this. Ever. Until the Lord calls you home. Now, can you set boundaries with people? Of course. But you cannot give up on people by praying for them, by loving them. Do you always have to give to them and enable them? No, you need discernment for that. But don't give up on people. Jesus didn't. He even said to these, the Romans, I don't even find such great faith even in Israel. And the how, those who were sent returning the house found the servant, here's the medical term, well. It's a medical term in the Greek that the commoners like me who aren't in the healthcare field wouldn't use. He uses it, who had been sick. Big spiritual lesson coming now. Bring sick people to Jesus. Get sick people to Jesus. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I want to feed everybody who comes through these doors these next couple months, physically, every one of them. We're going to share as much as we can share with whatever the Lord's given to us, but I want to share the gospel with them. Bring everybody you know who's sick to Jesus. And we're all sick, according to the Bible. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Bring people to Jesus. Don't just wave at somebody and be nice to them for 50 years, waving them right into hell. Share with them. Love them. Okay, that's vignette number one. Man, we got to move. Now he comes the day after that, and he goes into a city called Nain. That's about 25 miles from Capernaum. It's down to the south and over to the west. He intentionally goes to Nain. And many of the disciples went with him and a large crowd. He's got a large following marching to the city. That's important. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out. The only son of his mother. Why do you think they say that? Because he was the one, she was a widow. If she's a widow and has one son... She has no means of supporting herself now. She's lost it all. Everything. Of course, her son, her family, and now anything that has to do with economics, she's lost. And I want you to know something. A large crowd from the city was with her. So now you got two parties crisscrossing. Are you catching that? One's going one way, one's going the other. One's going to the city, one's coming out of the city. Where are they going? To the cemetery. It's just like life. There's two kinds of people in the world. 
those who are going to the heavenly city, and those who are going unto damnation. Here's the picture. And when the Lord saw her, he had that word, compassion on her. He felt her pain. And it immediately moved him. Don't weep. Don't weep. It's an interesting question, folks. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you're in her spot and the Lord comes by and says, don't weep? You're going, what? What are you talking about? My son's dead. Hey, don't weep. I'm in, I'm in despair, she might be saying. Don't weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin. It's not a coffin like we would think of it. They didn't have those as such. It was more like a wicker type of basket type of thing. But anyway, he came and to- touched the open coffin. He grabbed onto it. It's right at this point, catch this, that Jesus claims for himself what, as one author says, death had seized as its prey. Did you catch that? Jesus claims for himself what death had seized as its prey. Death, the terror of death. You go to your, you say to yourself as you read through this, who carried him and stood still, you say to yourself, just like the scriptures tell you, what can man do to us? <laughs> we serve the Lord who gives us eternal life, and the Bible promises us not some mystical floating in the clouds. You're going to have a resurrected, glorified body and live and rule and reign with Jesus Christ for all of eternity, folks. He's claimed it for his own. He's taken out the sting of death, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. He carried him and stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up. That's a medical term for somebody sitting up in the medical bed. And began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. Wouldn't you love to have been there to see your face? (sighs) By the way, the Bible tells us, right... The Bible tells us that faith moves mountains. You know what? And then, eh, it's so true. It's so true. Faith means mountains. But, you know, oftentimes I got to say to you, I, or I got to be honest with you, I feel like sometimes my faith is just minuscule, maybe smaller than minuscule, just laying it out there for you. And praise the Lord, the Bible says, when we're faithless, he remains faithful still. I want you to see in this story He did it because he had compassion. She probably was like all of us. Are you serious, man? (laughs) Am I promoting lack of faith? No. I'm I'm just saying what reality is sometimes. Here, he, uh, 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 he comes and her whole world is restored to her. Her whole world is restored to you. Then fear came upon them all. And they, look at this. This is the, this is it. They glorified God. You catching it? They glorified God, the Father, saying, a great prophet has arisen up among us. They don't even correctly understand who Jesus is. That's from Deuteronomy 18, I think it's 18, where a a great prophet was uh, 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 predicted. And of course, Jesus is the greatest prophet, and so they knew it somewhat, but not perfectly. This great prophet, well, yeah, he is the great prophet, but he's more than that. He's risen up among us, and God has visited his people, and this report about him went throughout all Judea and all those surrounding regions. There's vignette number two. 
Jesus responds to the despair of people. He, 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 he responds to your despair. You might not think it. He responds to your despair. Remember what we read in, in Spurgeon, that long-winded thing I read you? He responds to your despair. And then as you abide in him, he gives you the resource to comfort others in despair. With God's comfort, not your comfort. Okay, vignette number three. This is really interesting because this is religious guy who knew Jesus. Watch this. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John, where was John? John's in prison down at the Dead Sea. Why is he in prison? Because he told on Herod. He told Herod like it is. He just smacked Herod in the face with the truth. And what did it happen? You know, you know, Lord, here's John the Baptist. I can just see it. Lord, I'm doing what you want. And you're putting me in prison? Think about how awful it would be for John the Baptist to be in prison, a guy who was used to be in the wilderness his whole life, roaming in the wilderness, having to be put in a cell. It would just, oh. You guys can relate, right? We can relate. We've been cooped up since March. Anyway, he, he's in prison, and he knows the Scriptures. Just turn with me back to Luke 4, when Jesus was in his own home synagogue. Listen, if you catch this, your whole life is going to be unlocked by the Lord. Remember when Jesus stood up in the synagogue and he read from Isaiah 61, which was written 800 years before the time of Jesus, and he reads a prophetic Isaiah 61 passage. The passage is, the Spirit of the Lord, verse 18, is upon me. It's talking about the Messiah. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. See, that's the ministry of the Lord. And he has, and to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You're reading that. Now, there's all kinds of other prophetic prophecies, both about those who can't talk will be able to talk when the Messiah comes. Those who can't hear will be able to hear. Those who are sick will be healed. You know those scriptures in Isaiah. But it also talks about him setting up a coming kingdom, a kingdom that will rule on earth. And John the Baptist knows this. Are you catching me? Including what was alluded to there, that the, there was going to be liberty to the captives. So now here you got relative John the Baptist in prison doing the Lord's work, going stir crazy, and he sends back to Jesus a message. Hey, are you really the Messiah? I thought I knew, but I've been in here a long time, and I don't really understand what you're doing. Hey, wait a minute. Listen. Sound familiar? I'm confused about what you're doing, Lord. I'm totally confused. And Warren Wearsby says this, doubt, okay. Unbelief, not okay. What's the difference between doubt and unbelief? Here, doubt is a matter of the mind. We simply can't understand what God is doing or why. Okay, no problem. God's big enough to handle that. But when you move that doubt into unbelief, you're in danger territory. Unbelief, what is that? It's a, listen to me. It's a matter of the will. We refuse to believe, listen, we refuse to believe God's word and what he tells us to do. Now you're in danger. And what happens, listen, when the circumstance gets terrible, 
My boyfriend broke up with me. My husband walked out. Legitimate things. They hurt. This person died. They told me I have cancer. My boss canned me. Whatever. I mean, I'm not making fun. There's a lot of things that circumstantially aren't that great. And you might be saying to yourself, I don't understand it. That's okay. But when you jump to that stiff neck against God, your will, you set your will against God, you've gone into danger territory. And here, look at this. John the Baptist is perilously close. He's confused. And John the Baptist has said, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Verse 21, in that very hour, he cured many. Listen, he did infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. And Jesus answered and said, look, 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 look. Go and tell John in, in prison, the things you have seen and heard that the blind see, these are Things that are talked about in the scriptures, the prophets about the Messiah. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor of the gospel preach to them. Isaiah 61, you catching it? But he says nothing about the captives being set free. In other words, catch this, catch this. John, you, you may not understand what I'm doing. In fact, what happened to John the Baptist? You may not understand what I'm doing, but I want you to know that my ministry here, the Lord says, my ministry here and now is to heal the sick. I might not cure every one of the circumstances you want me to cure, but remember currently. I might not cure all the circumstances you want me to cure currently, but remember, Jesus says, my mind's on eternity. Your mind's on the temporal. John is in heaven. John the Baptist is in heaven with the Lord. Do you think John the Baptist right now, I want you to think about it, do you think John the Baptist right now, right now, this day, looks back and says, Lord, you messed up. No, you know what he says? He goes, wow, I get it. I get it. It's all about you, Lord. It's all about you. Well, I purposely stopped and did that before verse 23 because here's another beatitude. You want to be happy? Look, Listen, here's the, here's the takeaway from this story. You want to be happy and blessed? It's a heavenly word, this blessed. It's a heavenly word. If you want to be heavenly blessed, not temporally blessed, don't be offended because of Jesus. Jesus is the Lord, and we're not. And if you don't understand your circumstances, sure, you don't understand them, and that's fine. God's big enough to handle that, but when you cross over to setting your will against the Word of God and what He says, because you're confused and you don't understand, you're in dangerous territory. Blessed are the people who are not offended when Jesus doesn't tell them what He's doing. By the way, you know what He's doing. He's going to put you in heaven and be there with you forever if that's all He ever did for you and me. If that's all He ever did, just salvation, eternal life, that's enough. 
well, keep going. When the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Now, see, Jesus, so perfect, man. He's been a little rough here. He knows he's had to tell truth. Now he tells these people, now listen, concerning John, it's not that I don't love him. A reed shaken by the wind, but what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments. In other words, this ain't no pansy out in the wilderness. That's what Jesus is saying. You can get mad at me or not. Indeed, those who are gorgeously appared and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than the prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. This is the one who was predicted, who would pave the way for the Messiah. He's the greatest prophet. I say to you, among those born of women, there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But now comes an astounding statement. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. You who have... Tasted of God's grace in this era of grace. It's always been grace, but there's a new covenant written in blood. You're on this side of the cross. You're greater in the kingdom than even John the Baptist. And I'm not saying it, folks. He is. You have the advantage of living by the power of the Holy Spirit to fill you and to refresh you and to move out in boldness and strength and love. You're greater. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God. That's just a way. You're not justified by saying these words or having these words said about you. You're justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. But this justified the teachings. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by them, by him. And the Lord said, to what then shall I liken the men of this generation? And what are they like? They are you, you got to really uh, plug in here. They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another saying, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We mourned to you and you didn't weep. What does this mean? Listen, if the message is unwelcome, nothing that the messenger says or does will ever be right or good enough. And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is a smart guy. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by all her children. Man, you ought to take that and write that wherever you look at Scripture, because do you know what he's saying? You know, John and I were, Kennedy and I were talking about is trophies of grace in the Bible. It really isn't. When you call somebody a trophy of grace, it really isn't in the Bible, except it is right there. The people of God, listen, show God's wisdom. You pour out God's wisdom. He took a wretch like me and saved me. And you too, you're the miracles, you're the trophies of grace. Look at the fourth vignette. Then one of the Pharisees, are you catching this, guys? He's already been criticized earlier in Luke because he went and he sat with, uh, you know, people of uh, poor character, shall I say. Now he says he gets invited over to a party by the ruling religious party, the orthodox people. So then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Guess what he did? Nah, I can't come to your house. I'm not into that kind of thinking. 
Or he didn't say it to the other people. No, I can't come to your house. I'm not into that kind of thinking. No, when Jesus got invited, he went. Which tells us something. How do you not lose your witness? Well, you go and you love and you share and you eat and you participate with, look, without losing your witness. And when it's time to talk about truth, you tell truth. No one's saying gloss over the truth. But don't stay in a cocoon. That's what Christians do because they're afraid to have relational courage. They won't talk to people about the issues. They just stay away from people because they don't believe like I do. And if they don't believe like I do every minute of every day, then I'm not going to spend time with them. That's what we've been uh, automated to say now. Jesus didn't do that. He went where, where the Pharisees were, and he ate with them. That's intimate. And he went to the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. Some believe this is Mary Magdalene. It never tells us it's Mary Magdalene, but for sure she was notorious and probably a prostitute. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. How could she get into the party? Because in the middle of some of these Israeli homes, these Jewish homes, they had a middle courtyard. And during a feast, or a banquet, people were allowed to come in and listen to what the rabbis were teaching. That's how she got here. And she stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. <laughs> Doesn't this make you uncomfortable? Here, I'll make you uncomfortable, some of you. You ready? I get this question a lot. Why do you people raise your hands and worship? First time I went into a Calvary Chapel, I'd been in a Lutheran church my whole life. We were buttoned up. We didn't really bring our Bibles. We didn't talk about it. I went in there, and all I could think about the whole time is, that guy's got his hands up over here. And I just looked down at, you know, at the floor. That guy's got his hands up. Oh, that guy's got his hands up over there. Psalm 132.4, raise your hands in the sanctuary. Uh, by the way, where does it say you bow your head and pray? Not very many places in the Bible, if any places. Most of the time, it's looking up like this. Uh, do you have to raise your hands in worship to be a spiritual person? No, you could have your hands jammed in your pocket. But I got to tell you something. <laughs> For me, I knew I had a problem because I didn't want other people to see me worshiping. And when I was able to lift my hands... Freedom, like this lady. She's just extravagant in her worship. She's extravagant. And you know what, folks? She didn't conjure it up in some fake way. You, you get that? There's some places you go, they play the music until you get fired up. Come on, man. Come on, man. That ain't this. Well, she's doing this. She's extravagantly worshiping. So if he were, this man, if he were a prophet, verse, or excuse me, 39. Now, when the Pharisee had invited him, saw this, he spoke to himself. He spoke to himself, right? He's muttering, he's talking to himself. This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Can you, right? That's religious people. External religion. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon. Oh, that's great, isn't it? Jesus gives the name to the Pharisee, so we know. Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. He's thinking in his mind. Then he's like, oh, you ever been, you know, you ever been like yelling at your kids and the phone rings and you go, oh, hey, how you doing? That's this. Oh, somebody said, oh, come on, be real. 
That hadn't happened in our house, but I mean. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii and the other 50, and when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Hey, tell me therefore which one of them will love him more. Simon says, oh, well, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, you catching that? He looks at the woman but talks to Simon. <laughs> Do you see this woman? He loves her, man. He has compassion on her. I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. That was courteous in those days because their feet were dusty. That's what a, if you had hospitality and you invited somebody to order, you had water for the feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. That's extravagant worship. It's not conjured up. I'm going to tell you how I know here in a minute. You gave me no kiss. They would greet each other with a holy kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in here, making you uncomfortable? I hope so. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil, which was costly to her, by the way. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many. He doesn't, he doesn't diminish the fact she's a sinner. Oh, just thank you for doing that, and we'll just let it go this time. No. This lady has lots of sins. I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. You, you got to think this through, folks. What leads to extravagant worship? Not, listen, not shallow repentance. What leads to extravagant worship? Deep repentance. Not just when you get caught saying you're sorry for something, but recognizing that your sin, you've been a sinner, you have sinned against God and Him only. And you've sinned against other people, yes, and now you go make it right with them, but you need to make it right with the Lord. And the way you make it right with the Lord is you get on your knees in brokenness, you worship Him, and you say, I'm a sinner, I'm poor. You see, here comes the Sermon on the Mount. I'm poor, and I need you today and always be my Lord, be my Savior. I count on your sacrifice for my sins and your resurrection for my new life. You're my all in all, and I'm giving it all to you because I know what you've saved me from. You, you got churches, folks, that never talk about sin. How could you ever be an extravagant, authentic worshiper if you don't know from where you've come? Here, the Lord says, those who are guarded, you catching this? Those who are guarded in their worship and afraid to be seen as disrespected or, uh, you, know, uh, you know, humble or I don't know, I don't know what the word is, embarrassed by worship, uh, well, you don't know how much you've been saved by. When you encounter the grace of God in this way, you, as a forgiven saint, worship extravagantly. And those who sat at the table with them began saying to themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Then he said to the women, can you see it? The people are talking to him, the religious people. Well, who is this who even forgives sins? They're like calling him out now, religious. And he looks at the lady 
And he says, your faith has saved you. The phrase here, by the way, is not just go in peace, but go into peace. In the Greek, it's go into peace. You now, as you surrender your life to me, the Lord's saying, many sins, you're not beyond my reach. You now, Romans 5, have peace with God. And now you can have the peace of God. So as we move forward this week, Jesus told us, right, to be great in the kingdom of heaven. I'm, I'm a, I don't know if you know this, but I'm really competitive. Not the most competitive in my family, but second, okay? But when I hear somebody say great, it makes me stand right up. Oh, want to be great in that kingdom of heaven? Yes, I do. He says, be a slave. Be a servant. Do you want to be fulfilled and happy and peaceful? Really, not as the world gives, but really? Then take in Jesus as your Lord and Savior Know his word. Ask him to give you real compassion, his compassion. And then go out and give it to others. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thanks so much for this morning and for your eternal word. And Lord... <laughs> In some ways, this is a really difficult teaching, for me at least. It hits me and it cuts me in the right way, and I pray it does for these watching and looking or listening today. But also, Lord, it's beautiful teaching. Lord, I admit, I fall short of this type of compassion so awful, often. And I pray that we and us would go forward and move forward as we renounce self and let you live in and through us to have compassion on a world that's dark and hurting and evil. May we not be spiritually superior, but great servants laying our lives down for others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.